All right, well, welcome. Good morning. Beautiful morning to sing, to share, to be together. So glad we're, we can be together this morning. Uh, so Drew was going to be a judge for the chili uh, cook-off this afternoon, but uh, he's not here. He's at the hospital. I got to see him last night, and Macy is not 20 pounds. <laughs> I, can, I can guarantee that. <laughs> But they're doing well. God is so good. But uh, I get to help judge the chili, so I hope you can stay, and I'll try, not, I'll try, to, try to do a good job. I probably won't do as well as Drew, but I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> well, this morning, as we continue in Romans, we are diving into um, what God has for us in the good news. We've titled this series, Unashamed of the Good News of Jesus Christ. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at the introduction, and last week we looked at this main theme of, of Paul's writing this book saying, I am unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. And we talked about righteousness and power and how we can experience the, the righteousness of God, the, the good life, the, what we were meant to live. And we looked earlier in the introduction at our identity as followers of Jesus. Before we dive into the passage, I've alluded maybe a month or so ago to my youngest son, and when he was born almost three years ago, two and a half years ago, uh, my wife and I brought uh, him from the hospital, and we were home getting used to our third son, and we got a phone call, and the hospital called and said, you need to come in right away. And so uh, that was a, a terrifying afternoon as we jumped in the car and ran to the hospital and they began to do all kinds of tests on him. And uh, a few days later, sitting at Children's Hospital in Minneapolis, uh, we got some news that he had a genetic disorder. And uh, I'll never forget that day as my wife and I sat there stunned, uncertain of what it meant for his future, for our future. And uh, they began to describe this disorder and a lot of it went over our heads because we didn't understand everything about the human body, still don't, but boy, these bodies are complex, amazing testimonies to the fact that we are created by an amazing God. And um, we learned a lot about his body and our genetic code and DNA and all these things and how that affects our health. And, you know, we didn't leave that day angry at the doctor for telling us about his condition. We didn't leave saying, hey, we're going to do whatever we want. No, the doctor sat with us and he just truthfully told us what our son had and what we could do about it and what life would look like for him, would look like for us. And so we didn't leave angry. We didn't leave upset. We didn't leave saying, we're not going to listen to this. No, we, we took it to heart and we listened to what he said. And we began to do what he said. And today, my son is thriving. He's doing amazing. It's a testimony to God's, God's grace. But, but you'll understand why I emphasize that later as we dive into this passage. But, but later, we sat with a geneticist. And as she sat there and talked to us about DNA and, and these things that they're discovering about the human body, she made a statement to me that, that was astounding. She said, every human being has up to 13 genetic flaws. Every human being. So there's no one who doesn't have it. 
it doesn't always exhibit itself in our lives, but we are passing those genes to a generation, and, and at any time, those flaws can be revealed in all kinds of physical ailments. But I thought about that. Every single person has flaws in their DNA. That's important as we go into this passage this morning in Romans. If would you stand with me in honor of God's word, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. And the word should be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. If you have your Bible, we'd love to have you follow along. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is ever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what they ought not to be done, and they became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, and they disobey their parents. And they have no understanding, no fidelity, no, fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also prove of those who practice them. You may be seated. I think it's so important that we go through the entire word of God. We believe this is God's word, right? This is God's word, not ours, it's God's. And I believe that it's so important that we don't just go to the passages that we want to hear, but we need the whole truth of what God has revealed. Remember, we started this series by saying this is God's gospel. And gospel means good news. This is God's good news. And so as we read that this morning, you may be saying, what's good about this, Pastor Ben? What's good about this? There's good news. And I want us to see that God is good. And his goodness is revealing truth to our hearts. Now, I talked at the very beginning of this series about this idea of identity and that in our culture there's this message that we're bombarded with that says find your identity in yourself and I stood up in here and said that is a lie you cannot find your identity within yourself rather 
Our identity comes from our Creator. We need to be given an identity. We, we, if we look inside, we will only find confusion and hopelessness. It's only when we look to God and see who made us that we find our true identity and we find life and we find what we were created for. In the same way, there's a lie, there's a, a, a message that our culture is communicating every day. And you can hear it as you go to TV, movies, you go to school, you hear this message. And what is that message? That basically, you are good. You hear this message over and over that basically human beings are good. And I talk to people all the time about um, their lives and about God as I go about life. And what I hear all the time is, is, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm not like those other people. I don't do bad things. I do good things. I hear that all the time. Have you heard that? There's this basic message, this basic thing that people believe in our world that they are basically good, fundamentally good. But this is wrong. This is wrong. The Bible tells us the truth about our true condition. I could have, with my wife, sat there with the doctor, and as he looked at us and told us about this genetic disorder, I could have looked at him and said, no, my son is good. <laughs> he looks healthy. There's nothing wrong with him. He's good. But the doctor spoke the truth because he loved us enough to share what was really going on in my son's body. It wasn't all good. He had a condition that needed to be addressed. Changes needed to happen in his life, in our lives. And so God, in his love and his goodness, speaks truth to our hearts, to our lives, that it is not all good inside. It's not all good out there. And if we're honest and we take time to examine our hearts, we will see that at the very core of who we are, there is brokenness, there is need. We sang this morning, oh God, I need you because we understand we have a need. We have a flaw at the very core of our being. And we must understand this in order to understand the good news of Jesus. And so would you walk with this passage through me in verse 18 through 23. We see the truth that God is angry about the wickedness in people's hearts. Now this word wrath is a big word and it can conjure up all kinds of images but, but you must understand what's being communicated here is that, that God is not an explosive angry God much like we are. I told people that, um, that I didn't know I had an anger problem until I had kids, <laughs> right? Because sometimes my kids would do stuff and I would blow up, I'd get angry, right? That's not what God is talking about here. That's me, that's, me. that's us. We have explosive anger, we react. That's not what God is doing here, he's not reacting. This word wrath is a settled opposition to. And we understand this. If, if you hear of someone who is abusing another person, you become angry, rightfully so, that that person is misusing their influence, their power, their authority, whatever they have to hurt someone else. We're opposed to that because we know when someone hurts someone else, that's painful for them and for others. And so we become righteously angry when we hear about abuse, mistreatment. 
We are opposed to that. We don't stand for that when someone hurts someone else, especially someone who's vulnerable, needy. That's wrong. And that's what this word is talking about. God sees a wrong, an injustice. And so he's standing against the injustice of wrong being done in, our, in the human heart. Because we saw at the very beginning, what were we created for? We were created to live, to flourish in God, to experience the delight of life. That's why God created us, to experience life, to experience everything that's good. We were created to love, to have joy, to have peace. And yet we don't experience that. And so God's opposed to that. He's opposed and he's angry about the condition of our hearts. And so God reveals this settled opposition against wickedness and godlessness in the human heart. So you see, this is at the very core of what's wrong with us, with me. We have allowed wickedness and godlessness in our hearts. This is the root of sin. When the word sin is used in the Bible, it basically means all that has missed the mark of who God is. You see, God is holy, he's righteous, he's good, he's pure, he's beautiful. Everything that is good comes from God. And so everything that is evil and wrong and ugly and hurtful and painful doesn't come from God. It comes from the sin that is in our hearts. And so God is opposed to that. That is our condition. John Piper writes about this passage because there's two things that, that exhibit this reality that the, are in verses 18 to 23. One, Paul says we suppress the truth. In verse 18, who suppress the truth. Okay, that's important. The second thing is there is a rejection of God in verse 21. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking they became futile and foolish. You see those two things. There's two things that exhibit our condition. We suppress truth and we say no to God. This is what John Piper says. We, we soften our own sins with mild words and we skewer others with hard words. Have you guys ever seen that? <laughs> like, like, I do something wrong and I think, man, it's not, it's not that big of a deal, but boy, when my wife <laughs> does something wrong, I, I feel it. You can't talk like that. You can't do that, right? Or when I see someone else, that's a suppression of the truth. We soften our own sin with mild words, but we skewer others. Or worse, we see the sins of others and, and we're blind to our own. Oh boy, we have great little antennas picking up on what other people do wrong, don't we? <laughs> I have three kids. They are really good at seeing what their brother does wrong. <laughs> do they ever see what they do wrong? Well, that's our condition. We're blind to our own. And when the truth hunts us down and corner us, we dodge and distort and invade and mislead. We equivocate and we lie. Don't we? And when that does not work to suppress the truth, we shift to blaming others and we accuse and we deflect anything to hold the truth from having its full effect on our lives. Wow. That's suppressing the truth. That's, that's the human condition. We don't want to know the truth. We, we, we'd rather... We'd rather look elsewhere. We'd rather focus on others. We don't want to be honest with our own condition. So we suppress the truth. The second thing about God's 
anger, wrath against the wickedness in our hearts is, is this rejection of God. Verses 21, right? They knew God, but they exchanged it. There's a proverb that says, the fool has said in his heart, no God, no God. There's this, there's this fundamental rejection of God. And it's interesting, we, we are keenly aware of our, our weakness, of our vulnerability as human beings. I, even as my little kids, as I see them grow up, there's this fundamental reality in their lives that they need help, that they, they need their mom and dad. And, and, and we don't lose that as we age. We know there's, there's something greater than ourselves out there. We know God exists deep in our hearts. But we don't always like that because we want to be in control. <laughs> we want to master our own lives. And so what we tend to do is we tend to raise our fists towards God and say no. We say no. And that's part of the human condition. In verses 21 through 23, it talks about idolatry. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images to make, to made to look like mortal human beings. You see, what we do as human beings is we, we create God in our own image, right? We want a God who's just like us, who accepts us, <laughs> right? Because then we don't have to grapple with the truth. We can deceive ourselves. And so we make God small like ourselves. We're afraid of a, of a reality of an immortal, awesome, great God because that's beyond us. So what do we do? We, we exchange our worship of a, of a great, awesome, creator, holy God to lesser gods. And this is the story of humanity written throughout the Bible where, where we say no to God and we begin to worship other things, things we can control, things we can worship on our own terms, not God's terms. And so God is opposed to this. Why? Because this is destroying us. When we suppress the truth, when we reject God, we destroy ourselves. And God wants us to live. He loves us. But the story goes on as we go on to verse 24 through 27. What does God do? You know, think about this. Abuse is trying to control others, right? To force others. That's wrong. We we see that in our world, in the workplace, and, and with parents sometimes where they try to force their kids. And that's wrong. That's not love. Love is freedom. It, it allows people to choose. Like, you didn't, you didn't choose your, your spouse or, or based on, um, on being forced, right? You chose them because you wanted to be with them. You wanted to spend your life together. Well, True love is, 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 is desiring that other person, not being forced to. And so God in his, in his love allows people to suppress the truth and to reject him. He doesn't force them into relationship with him. Rather, he allows them. So verse 24 through 27, it says, Therefore, God gave them over to their desires, to their sinful desires. So think with me here briefly about desire. We all have desires, and those desires many times are good desires, but many times they are skewed wrongly. 
So there's good things in life that God has given us that, that we begin to desire those things and then those things begin to consume us. And if you think about it, desire is another way to say love, right? We, we, we love what we desire. And so our desires speak of our loves. And in English, we, we, we mix those words a lot. Like I say, I love chili, <laughs> right? And, and chili's a good thing. We're gonna enjoy it today. But we all know if you eat too much chili, <laughs> And you, if you desire it too much, it begins to consume you. You got a problem. You got a chili addiction. <laughs> and pretty soon, your body's not doing very well because you're eating so much chili all the time. And pretty soon, you're consumed by that chili. And that chili will ultimately eat your stomach and everything all up. <laughs> and you'll be in big trouble, right? And so we know good things. We have desires for good things. But because of this condition of suppressing the truth and rejecting God, we cannot control our desires. Our desires are out of control. And we see that. And we see that God, in a sense, allows us to pursue desires. And because of those pursuit of desires, we reap the consequences of that pursuit. And so verse 24 through 27 gives us an example of that. And this can be seen in many areas of our lives. But Paul chooses to look at the sexual area of our lives because there's desire there, good desire. But because of our sinful condition, this desire goes out of control, out of control. And so he, he begins to outline what that looks like. He, he, he allows them to pursue these things. And because they pursue these desires and these lusts, they begin to not enjoy what God has given, but it becomes a curse in their lives. And instead of natural, healthy relationships, we see unnatural, unhealthy relationships. And this isn't just confined to homosexuality. This is seen in all of our sexual desires that are skewed by the rejection of God, by the suppression of truth. But homosexuality is a demonstration of this. It's an example of, of where we can go if we reject God. And so what does he say? He says, men, they did the, all these shameful acts and they received in themselves the due penalty of their error. And so what is God saying? He's saying, you have these desires, but if you do whatever you want with your desires, where will it lead you? It will lead you to destruction, to sorrow, to pain, and ultimately to death. That is what God is saying. Now, does our world like to hear that? <laughs> Do I like to hear that? Do you like to hear that? That you have these desires and, and, and you can't do whatever you want? That you can't choose what, you know, you can do whatever you want and, and, and not face the consequences? We don't like to hear that. But God loves us too much. He's not willing to stand idly by. I, I've always been struck by what Martin Luther King Jr. said about that time in our, our nation where we were struggling with race and things. And, and he said, the, the worst kind of hatred is to just stand by and do nothing. He said, there, there's so many people who are just, just standing by and not doing anything. And, 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 and God doesn't stand by and do, do nothing. He does something. He sees our condition. He's allowed us to pursue our desires, but he speaks to us. He communicates with us. He tells us that we're headed the wrong way, 
that if we keep pursuing those desires, it will ultimately destroy us. And he doesn't want that. He wants us to live. And so we come to verse 28 through 32. And he says, furthermore. And so it gets worse. (laughs) Not only do we pursue our own desires, we begin to see our true, true condition. We have, a, fra- we have a, a phrase for this. It's called total depravity. Total depravity. And so they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So God gave them over to a depraved mind so they could do what ought not to be done. Now, we can be sitting here this morning saying, we live in a terrible world, a terrible culture, everything's falling apart there's a lot of messes out there in people's lives and we can just start thinking about others but I don't want us to miss this this morning because this is this is so important for each one of us this is not someone else's condition this is our condition we're we're really good at at pointing the finger and judging others but but verse chapter 2 next week and I I hope you come back next week to hear this but but Chapter 2 says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. So when we come to passages like this, we don't read this and say, Johnny or Susie needs to hear this, or our culture needs to hear this. They do, but, but this is for us. This is our true condition. We have a fatal, sinful flaw in every single one of our hearts. And God loves us too much to let us keep going down that path. He doesn't force us, but he invites us to a new way. But we have to understand the reality of our condition. My wife and I had to sit in that doctor's office and really understand what was going on in my son's body. If we ignored that, if we suppressed that, if we rejected that, we would have injured him deeply he would have experienced incredible harm if we didn't listen. And this morning, we too have to listen. And so we look through this list and we could, we could stop in those earlier verses at the homosexuality and we could point our finger. But, but listen to what Paul says. He says, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventing ways to do evil, disobeying parents. So if, if we got up through that list and you thought that's not me that's not me but you get to disobey parents (laughs) which one of us hasn't done that no understanding no fidelity no love no mercy they continue to do the things they know are wrong that's me that's my condition there's pride in this heart there's selfishness there's there's all those things in my heart and so we read this list and we don't say, that's someone else. We read this list and we say, oh God, I need you. I need you. As the worship team comes up, I want to read a prayer um, written by the Puritans. I was given this book called The Valley of Vision of Prayers. And, and I want to end with this prayer because there's hope. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to end this morning just saying we're, in this, we're stuck in this hole because there's hope in Jesus. He came to rescue us, to heal us. 
But listen to this prayer. Quicken me to call upon thy name. For my mind is ignorant, my thoughts vagrant, my affections earthly, my heart unbelieving, and only your spirit can help me in my infirmity. I approach thee as father and friend and in my portion forever, my exceeding joy and the strength of my heart. I believe in you, God of nature, the ordainer of providence, the sender of Jesus, my Savior. My guilty fears, they they discourage an approach to thee. But I praise thee for the blessed news, the good news that Jesus reconciles thee to me. May the truth that is in him illuminate in all that is dark. Establish me in all that is wavering. Comfort me in all that is wretched. Accomplish in me all that is of your goodness. And glorify me in the name of Jesus. Oh, I pass through the veil of tears, but bless thee for opening the gate of glory at its end. Enable me to realize as mine the better heavenly country. Prepare me for every part of my pilgrimage. Uphold my steps in your word. Let no iniquity dominate me. Teach me that Christ cannot be the way if I am the end. That he cannot be redeemer if I am my own savior. That there is no true union with him while the creature has my heart. That faith accepts him as redeemer and Lord of all.